It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Coming up on the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. It's a West Coast, Mest Coast survey. I'm traveling from California to Washington, plus a special dystopian Portland tour in between on this week's edition of the Adult in the Room podcast. We're going to get an update on the campaign to recall Governor Gavin Newsom, which has legs. I'll talk to two California leaders involved, one of whom is Gavin Newsom's state assemblyman. Uh, He has something to say about that. In Washington State, the students at the University of Washington named for George Washington. You probably knew that, but apparently some people are very triggered by that. And they think the statue of America's founding father is too triggering. And they are demanding it come down. It's been there since 1909. Our next Antifa versus Mike Strickland is set for next time. Things are getting tense in the courtroom. And if you haven't heard our special serial podcast about the Mike Strickland case, by all means, start at the beginning. The easiest way is to go to victoriataft.com and start at our podcast section to uh, to listen up to the uh, special series there. Because of our incredibly screwed up country right now and the fact that we have become unmoored from the founding and our shared traditions, I'd like Los Angeles City Councilman Kevin DeLeon to start us off with the Pledge of Allegiance. Please take off your hats, put your hand over your heart, or if appropriate, salute as the L.A. City Councilman leads us in the flag salute. Kevin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Undervisible, uh, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. For which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, to answer your unasked question, yes, that was real. And yes, that actually happened at a real Los Angeles City Council meeting. It beats burning the flag, however, although it must be said that basically uh, he torched the the pledge. Don't be like Kevin. Don't don't be like Kevin. Well, speaking of losing our traditional moorings, uh, students at the University of Washington have decided to try and cancel George Washington. This is from Campus Reform. Now, the reason I even bring it up is it just happened to be serendipitously, she tried to say, this week, and of course, I'm doing the podcast, and I went to the University of Washington, so naturally this this, uh, interested me. Uh, From Campus Reform, the University of Washington's Black Student Union has garnered nearly 8,000 signatures on a petition that demands the school remove a statue of George Washington, the school and the state's namesake. The petition claims that the statue perpetuates white supremacy and preserves its historical imposition because George Washington owned slaves and BC dubs. Martha did too. And he couldn't free those guys because they were Martha's property, quote unquote property. Remember when they used to be property? And they're not anymore. There's something like the 13th Amendment. And there was also the implicit nature of the Constitution in which all men were created equal. And eventually we got around to doing that. Anyway, I, I continue reading. 
The offending statute, or statute, excuse me, is part of the university's history. It is uh, the product of a years-long campaign by the Daughters of the American Revolution, which raised six grand back in the day by encouraging school children from all over the state to contribute their pennies no more than five cents apiece. And, uh, excuse me. And uh, the statue has stood on campus since 1909. The petition also proposes cutting ties with the Seattle Police Department because George Washington. Uh, Disarming the university police and increasing funding for the American Ethnic Studies Department, which used to be the Black Studies Department, but now it's all ethnic. And hiring more black faculty members. Now, the university leadership responded with an incremental measures at the beginning of the 2021 school year uh, to bring diverse talent to the university. Yeah, okay. Which is fine. I mean, obviously, you know, you want different people of different mindsets. Oh, I'm sorry. They're not talking about that kind of diversity. Yeah. It did not pledge to remove the statue. By the way, if they try to remove the statue of George Washington in the University of Washington, in Seattle, Washington, in the state of Washington, I'm going to have to go to Seattle, Washington and talk to the principal. Did I almost say that? Yes, I did. The the president of the university. By the way, I'm trying to get a hold of, uh, but you're not going to believe this. On the webpage for the president on, at the University of Washington webpage, it's, you can't even find an email. No, you can get on their email list, her email list. And, or, but you can't actually email the president of the University of Washington. George Washington perpetuates nothing more than incredible grit. And this is my opinion. I just recently, I love audiobooks because I'm in the business and I've always loved audiobooks books before I was in the business. And thing is, George Washington was an exemplary, incredibly talented and honorable man. And he owned slaves. And you can do two things at once. And sadly, uh, he knew it was wrong to hold slaves. And he pondered the freeing of the slaves. I think he did his own, but he couldn't do Martha's. But nevertheless, this is where he was showing incredible grit, leading the revolution against the tyranny of the British, in which he vowed with other founders to, quote, uh, quoting here, you might recognize this, you might, mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And it goes on to say, all 56 signers put their lives on the line to preserve and protect the freedoms they were felt were God-given, unalienable rights of all people. And while they said that in in writing, in the Declaration of Independence, and, uh, and of course embodied in the Constitution, they also didn't follow it initially. But they did so because they wanted to get the South involved. <clears throat> and of course, Virginia was in the South. Most of the leaders of that day uh, were, were uh, Southern from Virginia, like George Washington. And by the way, the uh, Ron Chernow book about Washington is a definite worth it to listen to, worth it to read. I prefer listening. Currently, uh, my my latest uh, uh, audiobook is about, besides my, um, my own, and uh, is the audiobook of Going Clear and... Uh, What's the guy's name? Oh, I'll think of it in just a second, but it doesn't matter. I'll think of it. And he's the one who did the looming towers and has done treatments of different kinds of religions 
in the United States and around the world, indeed. And, and mostly he's, he's uh, dealing with, if you will, cults, of which Scientology is a definite contender. And so it reads like, well, you know, it, it, it's a treatise, okay? So it's a tough lesson. I mean, just a bit. But I'm getting into the part where they're getting into Hollywood now, so that's even more interesting. And I'm sticking with it because I, I really want to know, besides what Lisa, uh, Leah Remini and uh, the Going Clear special uh, teaches about Scientology. I mean, this is just wild. L. Ron Hubbard. Woo! Anyway. So back to the University of Washington. I'm pretty sure most of these children wouldn't not pledge their lunch money, much less their sacred honor, much less their fortunes to their country. Uh, yes, Washington held slaves. There's nothing really we can do about that right now, except that they wrote the script to get rid of it and decades later did. What have you done with your life? How you doing? As Wendy Williams might ask. Canceling them now without honoring their sacrifices and progress for our countries, it, it really makes them look stupid, weak-minded, devoid of logic, grasping at straws just to, to be relevant. It's, it's actually fairly depressing. Nevertheless, the UW Law student and campus reform reporter who went on Fox News to talk about this was nicer than I am about it. And he's a younger guy. I'm just over it. It started, this is just another further example of how we as a society cannot seem to separate the good that somebody has done from the evil. This particular petition was brought forth by one of the student unions on campus and has actually been adopted by the school newspaper. So the school newspaper at this point is calling for the removal of the statue. I don't, and I certainly don't believe that this program does condone slavery or racism in any way, but that doesn't mean that without George Washington, we would not have a country, let alone a state, let alone a university named after him. Right. So to think that we can simply get rid of all that history and forget about it is is ridiculous and unfortunate. Uh, sadly, it was in every uh, slavery was in every continent on the planet, and it was something he was born into, and uh, that is part of George Washington's story. Here's the statement from the University of Washington: We support a reexamination of campus symbols, figures, or names that are connected with racism, past or present. We also believe it's important to consider additional opportunities for symbols or namings that are more fully recognize bio, biopic contributions to our community, especially to our state and university. If George Washington offends you, why are you going to George Washington Law School? Pick another place without George Washington's name on it. We're not just seeing this at the University of Washington. We are seeing this across the country and the Leadership Institute's CampusReform.org has been documenting this. You saw this at another school named after George Washington, George Washington University. A bust of him was toppled uh, there over the summer. You saw at uh, Washington and Lee University, there was a petition to get the pictures taken off of the diploma of Washington and Lee. So this is not just some Seattle thing just happening here. The University of Washington, my alma mater, has also become a slow capitulation, which includes, but is not limited to, reducing the number of cops on campus so that women can once again be freely raped and assaulted by members of people who would like to predate upon them, members of the community there, perhaps people coming in for an effort to just kind of hang around. I can remember being in the speech speech communications uh, building, an old lovely old building on the campus and uh, showing my niece around one time, no correction, my cousin around like you would know, right? You don't even care. I, I know that you don't even care. 
but I'm just, you know, I'm correcting myself anyway. And so we're walking around campus, and there's a guy dingling himself in the window, just hoping that we would be horrified at the sight of his dingle. And indeed we were. And we, in fact, instead of running away, which I suppose would have been something that made him feel better, or I don't even know, uh, we ran ran to the door. (laughs) And we started banging on the door. And of course, it was locked, because back in those days, back in those days, they chained the doors from the inside. He had a key, obviously, to something. I, I don't know who this dude was. He was some white guy, which, of course, makes him a racist. So, therefore, it was a racial attack on me back in the day. Now, the university president, as I mentioned, will be hearing from me the second I am able to find her email. Anyway, so this is virtue signaling in search of a translator. So I would like to tell you, I would like to be your translator. Uh, I'll translate. And the this virtue signaling, this taking down of the George Washington statue, which they proposed to do at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington, uh, as I mentioned, is stupid. And here's my translation for what it should mean. Become a good human being, please. Read. Learn of the founding. Get a job, get married, have children, preferably in that order of operation. Thank you. Hey, I went on a dystopian Portland tour over the weekend. They don't call it that. I do. Have I mentioned the fact that I want to start up a tour in Portland and it's going to, you know, the protest tour? I might call it the dystopian tour. I don't know. So I walked with my daughter, who shall remain nameless for her safety. And we did so in downtown Portland, uh, you know, where all the riots were over the summer. And, uh, And I have to have this pronouncement. I'd like to know, because, you know, there's good news down there. There's totally good news down there. Uh, Yeah, sure, it looks like a mess. I mean, it's a cleaned up mess now, because, of course, this is just months afterwards. But I have this pronouncement, and I would like to know who the lucky guy was who got the plastic jersey barrier concession for downtown Portland, because that guy... That gal, they are kicking ass in the market. They have totally won that market share in downtown Portland. Those 120 days of rioting last spring, summer, fall, I mean, were a huge boon to the Jersey barrier business, which are they're all over the place. So, you know. Slow clap for the Jersey Barrier guys, because you guys just made out. Of course, all the other businesses are closed that are in that core area. I mean, I mean, all, although I do mention a couple of things that are open, so you'll hear that in just a second. But, man, that guy made a killing. That person and, and oh, yeah, and the purveyor of plywood, plywood and MDF doors, big business, Big, big business. Plus, paint to paint all the murals to pay penance and indulgences to Black Lives Matter. So, markets are down. Plywood and plastic jersey barrier guys are killing it. Temporary fencing everywhere around the buildings to keep out the riffraff. Killing it. But as I said, it's much better than I thought it was going to be because things are a little cleared up. Sure, it looks dystopian, but it's a clean dystopia. Nobody's really around. It's a ghost town, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to go on a Sunday to go check it out. I thought, oh, you know, before I leave town, I'll just go and take my daughter and 
and uh, we'll, we'll walk. We'll walk. That'll give you an idea. We'll just walk through downtown. And things are getting cleaned up a bit, but nobody's around except the protesters. And I am not even kidding. I go downtown, and there was one of the things, there was there was a protest. It's like, there, what? wait, what, what happened? Did I miss a killing or whatever? Oh, no. they See, the thing is about Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they bring back old wrongs, and they decide to get outraged about them anew. And so on this Sunday... Uh, we found out, which, by the way, was a cold, windy, as you'll hear, and um, I mean, it was cold and windy. Let me just say it was a Sunday early afternoon. And and we discovered that we were walking into a Black Lives Matter protest where upon I had to stop and put my my um, mask on because I don't want anybody, even though they may not know what I look like and couldn't care less about me, if one person does, it's over for me. So I say to my daughter, I go, okay, so I'm hearing this, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Okay. And I said to her, hey, I really don't want to die today, so I'm just going to stop here. I'm going to pull up my gator, and I've got my sunglasses on and just praying that nobody recognizes me. Let's go on the Portland dystopian tour. So we're just downtown here, and it's a Sunday. We thought we'd be able to have our dystopian, Portland dystopian tour without any conflict. Yeah, any conflict. So uh, I'm going to chase down the Black Lives Matter protest a little bit. We're on the uh, street. Let's see where are we? We're in Columbia and between 2nd and 3rd. So we, we all know where they're going to end up. And uh, they're blocking traffic, naturally. And uh, so I've got my mask on so that I don't die. Oh, there's a house over there. Oh, there you go. That's a prime real estate Portland. Just talked to a guy who's an entrepreneur who said that there's no money left in Portland. It is destitute. And indeed, that's what we'll have a week. Oh, those cars are with that. I see. They're blocking traffic. Also, the cars and the bicyclists, of course, are then ordered to block traffic. These sort of look. And as we walked closer, we noticed that Black Lives Matter allies, those are the white people who are allowed to help. No, no, that's a thing. That's a all the white people can't speak or anything like that. They they are allies. And so they let the the people of color, the pox speak. They let. Okay, I mean, it's just absurd. The whole thing is absurd. You know, the people who attacked Mike Strickland, they were the allies who decided to do security. I've learned later. They were the security people. And so that's why they're going to beat the hell out of the guy and and throw him out of there because they didn't want to embarrass the Black Lives Matter protesters because they might say something stupid. Strickland would put it on his YouTube channel laughing at liberals. and, And that would be a bad thing. Yeah. So they were blocking traffic in front of City Hall with bicycles and they've now added cars to their retinue. 
And I asked an ally who had been blocking traffic and um, who were, who was outfitted uh, similarly to the city workers with the fluorescent vests over their black block attire, what was going on? Oi, pea brain. What's going on? What's happening? What's happening? This is a Black Lives Matter motion. What? Stuff. Just in general? No, no, this is specifically uh, Justice for Patrick Kimmons. Oh, okay. What happened to him? He was murdered. By, and when was that? Uh, 2018. Oh, that's I thought. Now, as uh, you can hear, if you remember back to where the soundbite first started, he laughed at me at first. And he was rolling his eyes because he thought I didn't know what BLM was, which I thought was pretty funny. And I should have asked him... A little bit about that, but I knew he'd shut me down. He didn't look like he suffered fools and probably was armed. So the group was protesting the 2018 killing by police of Patrick Kimmons. And I remember that case uh, slightly, and I had to go back and just sort of look up the background. And of course, you know, it was all the police's fault. I mean, because God knows, I mean, Patrick Kimmons was a 27-year-old father of three, and he was golden and he was a good man. Uh, sure. Patrick Kimmons had just shot two other people in a gangland shooting and had, uh, I think they survived. M- maybe if you were, you know, one of them is in uh, a wheelchair. I don't know. I don't know. But it was a gangland attack. He had had a black revolver, which, you know, that's one way to go. So that's an interesting choice of a gun, a revolver. I've always wanted a revolver except my hand hurts a lot. So, oh, what I, I so, uh, so so the cops roll up because they have heard about this gang shooting and they've come to help. They've come to sort things out. They've actually come to respond. And Kimmons, reportedly, who'd already shot two people, had a gun. And he didn't drop it when the police ordered him to do that. And you're not going to believe this, but when he repeatedly did not lower the gun or put it away or get his hands off the gun, they shot him and killed him because you're not going to believe this. The guy was, a uh, uh, for all they knew, he was a double murderer. So I thought some context might be required there. I mean, this is exactly what BLM does all the time. Michael Brown just does a strong arm robbery and with his buddy who said that he put up his hands and it was, you know, don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot thing, which was a total lie, a total lie. And so that's the way these these lores, these tales get started. People just they forget about the, mm, you know, he she's often she's often Cuba. She's been expelled. She's a political uh, persona non grata. Therefore, she's gone to Cuba. Oh, and she shot and killed somebody and and blew up a blew up a public building. You know, it's stuff like that. Oh yeah, they don't actually ever tell you the full story. So of course the folks, the chick, probably Ty Carpenter, doing the um, speech in front of the Black Lives Matter people, uh, never, you know, of course, <laughs> mentioned <laughs> that the cops came to help the, you know, the two presumably black people who who got shot by the guy that they were fetting and uh, calling a hero. So City Hall is where the protests of the few dozen people took place where this speech was going on in front of it. And they were, that was all boarded up. 
The second floor windows were filled with Black Lives Matter signs as if to say, please, please don't hurt us. I mean, that's what I see whenever I see those things like the murals that you'll hear about. All I do is I see hands up, don't hurt us. That's what I see. Hands up, don't hurt us, please. Black Lives Matter protesters um, were there, a few dozen, and and, uh, they were not doing anything violent. So that's good. Here's the speech. If protesters don't want cops, and they are always asking for them to be defunded, then perhaps they should just go out and be the cops themselves, you know? They can patrol. And, oh, by the way, I noticed that as I drove into Portland, there's graffiti everywhere. And I don't mean BLM graffiti. I mean gang graffiti, tagging and all sorts of things. And I have to say that, uh, you know, the broken windows theory is uh, showing itself large and in charge. The DA, the new DA, the the George Soros-esque DA who was just elected. Can you believe this? Of course, everybody needs to not go to jail. We have restorative justice. We're just going to beat drums, drums at the drum circle Friday at four and everything will be fine. And even he, even he said the gangs are making a comeback. Well, no kidding, Dick Tracy. I mean, the guy, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. And so all I have to say is great job, Democrats. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, onward with our dystopian Portland tour, as we dubbed it. We went through the two parks between City Hall and the federal building that was attacked all summer last and uh, where the Justice Center is. And uh, here's what it sounded like. Once again, the public bathroom has been trashed at the altar of the protesters. This looks it looks almost as bad as it did during Occupy Portland, except at least it doesn't have. Well, maybe it does pee dripping out which they did they had feces and urine just dripping down the street down the street from city hall is the multnomah county courthouse and it's all boarded up i don't even know why it's boarded up that's where the jail that's where the jail is it's like where all the courthouses are and uh at least some of them and so the deal is it's all boarded up to keep the same people who rioted for justice out because they're rioters. <laughs> Protesters are up there. Justice Center is there. Federal Courthouse is here. And they're seeking justice, but they have shut down the lovers of justice. Look at that. You can't even get the freaking courthouse. And we walked by the federal building and could not help but read the protest graffiti left behind. So we're walking next to the Justice Center. Uh, I've seen come to watch a couple of trials down here at the federal courthouse. And uh, this is what it looks like. F-12. All cops are bastards. So fuck your fence. Uh... What is it? R.I.P. Kobe. Kobe. Uh Yeah. 
Somehow, I don't think Kobe Bryant would have been honored by graffiti on a bombing target by Antifa and BLM rioters, but sure, sure. I could be wrong. I don't think so, though. Now, up the, you know what? Co- I know where Kobe Bryant used to live before he was sadly killed in that helicopter crash, and uh, there's there's no graffiti in that neighborhood. I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, I snorted. I apologize. Um, up the street a bit behind the temporary fencing and Jersey barriers, there they are again. I'm telling you, the cleanup people, the cleanup people are cleaning up. We've got temporary fencing, glass replacement. Shoot, we looked at the Nike store and I go, hey, was the Nike store looted? I asked my daughter whose name shall not be revealed. And um, and she goes, oh, yeah, but um, a friend of a friend actually is the person who got to uh, do the new glass in the Nike building. I'm like, there you go. It's the glass guys. It's the plastic jersey barrier guys. It's temporary fencing guys. Those guys... A downturn in the economy? What downturn? This this kind of stuff is just, they're aces in this stuff. Anyway, since uh, the name, um, let's see. Now, remember all this stuff started when George Floyd died. And remember, he was high on fentanyl that would have killed him. And it's apparently, you know, the, the knee on the, the neck thing, that was part of the training manual. Now, you may not think that's a great idea. It seems a little hinky to me, but, and it was horrible. And, uh, but nevertheless, there was looting going on in the name of George Floyd. Okay. And it's like he would have approved it or something. I mean, can you imagine George Floyd? He was trying to get himself squared away. He had little bright spots of getting squared away, and then there were a lot of dark things. I mean, the guy had like three different drugs in his system. He was trying to pass a bad check so he could buy more of that crap. So, oh, and here's the Apple store. It was a tidied up disaster, but they're not open yet because, well, rioters. This is the Apple store. And uh, Apple stands with Black Lives Matter, but they really don't want anybody to come in because they're afraid they're going to get their store ripped open. Yeah, Look at these plastic jersey barriers because they've already been looted by the quote unquote peaceful protesters. That's the Apple store. Idiots. Across the street is where the Louis Vuitton store was looted by those virtuous rioters who are just doing God's work and who are much better than us. Just standing for justice, which that night, wink wink, was just about us. I can't even afford to loot Louis Vuitton much less shop there, okay? Ain't nobody got that kind of time, and uh, nobody has that kind of time to spend in jail, except they weren't spending time in jail because they were all released. The windows were covered with homages to black women who you're not going to believe coincidentally all look like Angela Davis. Just saying. This is one of Portland's upscale shopping spots. Right downtown... It's where all of, they had, you know, Louis Vuitton, all those nice stores are here. And now here's what they have to do. They have to pay penance to make sure that, oh, please don't hurt us. Yeah, Yeah, I'll just bet they were. Who's money, who got the money? Black Lives Matter? Probably. I mean, it's a nice mural, don't get me wrong. It's just. But why, you know, you shouldn't have to board up your stores. Well, it's, 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 you're paying, you're paying, uh. What do they call those indulgences? Yes, indulgences. You're paying indulgences to the Black Lives Matter rioters. Oh, look at Louis Vuitton. Yeah. 
power in the people, to the people. Oh, it's to, like, it's clever. Sure. Right. All the women look like Angela Davis. More Louis Vuitton. God, remember when Oregon, when Portland, Oregon could support a Louis Vuitton store? Yeah. I smell feces and urine. Right here. I do. And we ended up across the street from the historic federal courthouse, which also looked a little like the bereft buildings in The Wire. Ever see that show? But without the drug dealers on the stoop. It's a beautiful old building. Yeah, just like those uh, those buildings are were in The Wire. And there we were treated to a much cleaned up Pioneer Courthouse Square, which is the what they call Portland's living room. And I think a few people need to take their daggone feet off the couch there. You know? It was the scene, that area, um, that was the giver of the best soundbite from the Mike Strickland, Antifa versus Mike Strickland series of reports. When that Black Panther dude told all the white people at the Black, Panther, at the Black Lives Matter protest that when he walked in, walked in violence and get ready to bust a cap in the cops. And I promise you... If they go about they burning of, of whatever they said you're doing, you pull your piss out and you fucking bust that. You pull your piss out and you bust that. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be you against them. When we do, when we move with the Panthers, trust me, when you see me move, I'm moving in violence. Now stop clapping. Stop clapping. Stop clapping because most of y'all folks ain't involved. Real talk. We're tired of walking around here asking y'all to help us. No more asking. We need action. How the fuck you take action? I don't give a fuck whether you knock them over, whether you run up on them, whatever you do. You better fuck you take action. So, you know, uh, maybe it is more like the wire than we thought. On this day, however, things seem to be peaceful. Pioneer Square looks really nice. Doesn't look blighted, doesn't look. Nordstrom is hanging in by a thread. Looks like they're going to have some sort of function here on a fright or on a Sunday in February. Okay. My guess is it's going to be something in together with the protest, but I don't know. We had lunch a few blocks from the chaos and dystopia at a nice place with great seafood that let us into, inside with our masks. And I had wine and seafood, and it was very good. And I'm not going to tell you the place because I'm afraid that they'll come and they'll ruin that place too. Seriously, though, some of the rioters, you know, obviously don't know me from Adam. I haven't been in town for a while, and uh, they may know my podcast and my work with the Antifa versus Mike Strickland stuff. And they've been following, believe me, they've been following that. And because I get very interesting missives from people, if you know what I mean, wink, wink. And the Strickland case, of course, is on their radar because it all happened at a Black Lives Matter Don't Shoot Portland protest in 2016. And he was the first guy out of the out of the blocks to get beaten out of a protest for conducting himself on public property in a First Amendment job. Anyway, so I put my gator up over my face to, to disguise me from walking around there because my picture is out there, you know. And I'm taking pictures. And look what they did to Strickland and Andy No for taking pictures at their protests. They got beaten up. Okay, 
So that's what happens. So when I heard the chants, as I mentioned before, I immediately uh, got my weapon squared away. I masked up and told my kid, I don't feel like dying today. Welcome to Portland. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, that's a problem. When the first thing you think of when you hear the chants of protesters is, gee, I hope I have enough ammo. (laughs) Or something. I didn't have a gun on me. But uh, anyway. So we're going to move to California now on our West Coast to West Coast tour, which is a funny thing to say because so many people are moving out. And there's one reason that they are embodied in the person of Gavin Newsom. And uh, I wrote a piece this week at PJ Media about what the Democrats are doing to save Gavin Newsom from ouster in the recall which is probably going to happen. See, the recall effort is nearly there. They need they they need 1.5 million. Can you imagine? 1.5 million. Smaller states, you know, like, oh, we need 200 signatures to get on the ballot. No. California, 1.5 million. And they're they're at 1.7 million now and hope to be at 2 million before March 17th when they have to t- take uh, take all the signatures in. They have to be verified sometime in April and you know that because of what the Democrats are planning to do and, you know, the, the loyal opposition. These are the people who say they've got to save Gavin Newsom, right? They've got to save Gavin Newsom because he is the symbol of power. He's got a future in the Democratic Party. They want him to run for president, not because he's competent, because, well, clearly he's not, but because he looks good, okay? I'm, I'm, if you think I'm kidding, then... I'm sorry. You're wrong. You're wrong. So here's what I wrote for PJ Media on my story uh, entitled, she read, California Democrats plan to use political technology to save Newsom from recall. See, and you thought I didn't do the hip optionary anymore. Nope. Still use it. So here's a list of Gavin Newsom's walk of shame. There's there's no candy coating it, I write. California last in getting the kids back to school. Most are still on lockdown due to Democrats' love affair with teachers' unions instead of following the science and getting kids to back in class. Private schools, like the one Newsom's kids go to, are open, depending on whether they want to be open. Now, let me just backtrack there for just a second. If it weren't for... You know, the, the CTA, the California Teachers Association, the most powerful union in the state. A nurses Association, not even kidding. That's way up there, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Unionized hospital workers. That sounds safe. Uh, so th- he owes them. He owes them. And he doesn't want to open schools until they tell him he can open schools. They're getting him the vaccinations and they still don't want to go back to work. I mean, what really? Seriously, would you? Would you? Would you go back to work if you could do nothing or do virtual school or 50% of the kids don't show up? Hello, LA Unified. And still get paid the full freight and not have to do any standardized testing because they're blowing out the testing every which way because they cannot pass the test. The kids are not learning much. Now, so Newsom's rollout of the COVID vaccine based on political affiliations and quote unquote equity instead of scientific need like old farts get the get the vaccines first. That's ticked off people from every stratum of society. The EDD Newsom administration uh, unflinchingly sent 31 billion 
That's with a B. California is the fifth largest economy in the world. $31 billion to fraudsters and scammers. Among the only in-state people receiving the money were the California-based prisoners. Some of whom, I'm not even, I, I know that's, that's a laugh line, but it's actually true. It's so sad. Some of the prisoners got 20 grand apiece from this EDD program. And they just like, okay, you know, what's your ID number? Prisoner number XYZ123. Newsome, uh, the EDD scandal, let me just say by way of, uh, just by way of saying that this isn't the only scandal in the Newsome administration. <laughs> Remember the billion dollar mask kerfuffle? He said, okay. We're going to get masks. You know, of course, there are no masks in the national store because Obama used them all for the H1N1 disease and then never restored the amount of stuff put in the way, the, the, the great pandemic lockbox in the sky somewhere. It's right next door to Al Gore's lockbox for Social Security, which, by the way, doesn't exist. I hate to break it to you. And so he said, well, I'm going to get PPE. Good. Oh, wait, let me see if I can do Gavin, Gavin Newsom. If I can mimic him a little bit. Oh, God, that hurt my throat. I had to have a cup of coffee here, a little drink, a little slurp. But he, so he sent him away to China for the, for the masks. It was like some, hey, I know, we're going to poison everybody, and then we're going to sell all the stuff to make you safe from it. That's great. It's sort of a... Same sort of vein of the California gold rush where all the people who made the money were the people selling the people with stars in their eyes looking to find gold, uh, their travels and their, their Levi's jeans. Yeah. So anyway, Newsom, like Governor Andrew Cuomo, ordered COVID patients into California nursing homes. Did you know that? Now, this is sort of something that's been on the back burner. And we mentioned it. I've mentioned it in pieces before. But uh, it is... Something to keep a watch over, right? His uh, latest scandal, yes, there are many. They are legion. Scandals, they are legion. Uh, No bid contracts to people who gave his uh, campaign money. Now, you know, and I know that sometimes that is actually a thing, and sometimes it's, you know, well, they gave money to his, his campaign. Well, they give money to everybody's campaign, right? So it may or may not be a thing, but the, the lefties are really upset about it, so there might actually be something to it. And don't forget about the corrosive effect that his hypocrisy at his double standard dinner when he went to French Laundry and enjoyed that incredibly expensive food with lobbyists, among whom were from the California Medical Association, without wearing masks, ensconced in close confederacy inside the French laundry. And we're all supposed to be locked down. Like, what? What you talking about? And then now Newsom is sending more COVID stimulus people to people who are not citizens because... You know, that helps America how again? That that helps us how? So Tom Del Barcaro, a colleague at Political Vanguard, a lawyer and former head of the GOP, talked to me this week about how tin-eared the Democrats are being about this attempt to stop the recall. 
Because the fact of the matter is, even though they have their great white hope in Gavin Newsom, 30% of the people supporting the recall are Democrats. What we're seeing here is a very broad-based desire to recall Newsom. We, uh, if, you, if we get to our goal of 2 million, and as of this recording, we're over 1.7 million, uh, a third of those people aren't Republicans. They're Democrats and independents. And Newsom's approval ratings have been tanking because of simple things. California remains last in the country, literally last in the country in school openings and college sports and high school sports openings. We are last in the country in the vaccine rollout, and we are last in the country in openings and uh, up for businesses and otherwise. People are just fed up with this guy, his, his hypocrisy and the like, and that's why so many people have signed. Many Democrats don't like him, and the reason why they don't like him is pretty simple. He, he has ended their business. He has kept their student, uh, their, the children at home for months on end from away from school, which hurts them, hurts the parents' ability to get income. He has kept people out of churches. There's no, really nobody he hasn't adversely affected. California is a long history of welfare fraud. I remember 15, 60 years ago in San Diego, they did an audit and they found 27% of the people receiving welfare were ineligible. A lot of that had to do with people who were making too much income to even be allowed to get it. And yet they did nothing about it. Well, so when COVID hit and there was the federal government, you know, obviously sent out aid and the way it was administered in California was very loosely. And as a result, billions not millions, billions went to even people in San Quentin, to people out of the state, to, to criminal efforts to, to get these billions of dollars. And that just shows you what their priorities are. Gap, under Gavin Newsom's administration, they're incredibly wasteful, which is ironic because they're saying with respect to this special recall election that it's a waste of $70 million. Well, I don't know. They wasted $31 billion. They didn't seem to care. He's not only not good at his job, he's highly partisan. He wants to be president. And his policies are doing grave damage and to people. You can make the argument, if he made the argument that Trump, uh, people were dying because of Trump. Well, there's no question in, in his uh, circumstance, people have been dying. And, and therefore, he needs to go. And that's why we, we're going to reach 2 million signatures. And I'm bullish on him being recalled. His approval ratings have been tanking uh, because the longer these things go on, the more people are driven out of business. 60% of restaurants are expected to close down. That impacts a lot of people. And, and in my discussions with Democrats who, who work some of these jobs, they're not going to forget it. They want the guy gone. And here's a list of things that the Democrats are planning to do to slow the recall that sound vaguely familiar. And I'll just give you a couple of them because I want you to go read my piece because, you know, that's the point of it. Go read it. Uh, the Sacramento Bee is reporting that the Democrats are considering trying to change the date of the recall to the next regularly scheduled primary election when Democrats are more likely to vote. And they're going to send out, they want to send out um, 
absentee ballots to everybody without asking, just like they tried to do in the uh, November election in which so many other states did. And there are plenty of those things that, when taken in the totality, actually confer help to the Democrats. And uh, you wonder why there is a supermajority in the House, in the, the Assembly, I should say, in the State Senate and at the governor's mansion. And um, among the reasons why are because they want to mail-in balloting and uh, for at least partially and and allow, allowed people from all walks to vote who are not citizens. We believe that and allowed a gaming of the system, which is why I, I write another story a long time ago. Forty percent of all provisional ballots in the entire country are voted in one county, Los Angeles County, because at least at some point in the California elections process back in the day. And that back in the day was just a couple years ago before they implemented the new stuff, which they just threw out because of COVID. And then they decided that they would just show the way to other states to go ahead and jimmy the numbers, uh, she said parenthetically. Uh, what would happen was you could tell, uh, and you still can, how many people or who's voted, who hasn't, what their address is, et cetera. That was public. In fact, still remains public information. You just have to know where to look now. But previously, it had been on the outside of all the precincts. And so you would just go and find out who hadn't voted. It's like at five o'clock or something like that. And, uh, you know, like, ooh, there's, you know, this person's probably not going to come vote today. Um, and so you would call that name, address, and information in. And of course, there's no ID required because Democrats. And They'd call them up in uh, L.A. and have them go vote provisional ballot and totally impersonate another voter. So you say, well, so-and-so voted. So it's just like there are as many votes as voters, but there are not as many voters as voters, if you know what I mean. If you thought that sounds like some of the tomfoolery from the November election, you've been paying attention. Congratulations. Assemblyman Kevin Kiley told me that there's plenty of reasons to rain down the pain on Newsom, and he goes over a few with me. One of the governor's uh, top supporters and uh, one of the leaders of the anti-recall uh, you know, uh, group said that uh, they need to you know, be focused on doing everything they can to reduce signatures. So uh, it sounds a lot like voter suppression to me. You know, they're telling people, oh, these are poisonous petitions. It's going to create chaos. You know, uh, this isn't what a recall is for. We have an election next year anyway. They're trying to use all of these, uh, you know, sort of anti-democratic arguments uh, to try to scare people out of signing the petition. When, you know, people are signing the petition precisely because they've landed on this as the one way that people can actually make their voice heard. The consent of the government. And uh, I think that for a long time in Sacramento, you've had that idea compromised. Every year, our legislature and our governor consolidate more power in Sacramento. They make the capital more insulated. Uh, they deny opportunities for public access and public participation and giving the people of California a stake in our government. And, you know, once again, this year, all of the, this last year during COVID-19, all of those trends have simply been fast forwarded to their logical endpoint of one man rule in Sacramento and large bureaucracies that are, you know, now essentially trying to run our lives. And so I think that uh, in a sense, maybe it took this just dramatic illustration of everything that's gone wrong uh, with our politics to really produce this movement to turn things around and restore the ideas of liberty and self-government that our country is all about. Um, MSN via the Sacramento Bee reports that the recall supporters have to get their signatures by March 17th, verified by April 29th, 
after which the Secretary of State's office will have 10 calendar days to determine if the effort met the 1.45 million signature threshold. And you know they're going to be just tossing out signatures right and left. And you know, do you not know, that they kept, it is believed, some of the COVID stuff has been uh being it's being used to interfere with the recall effort. I know this is coming as shocking news to you. Anybody who pays attention would not be the least bit surprised. Hello, are your kids back in school yet? No. But there it is. There it is. Can't go to church. It's against the law to go to church. Didn't you know that? Gavin Newsom said so. And he sent Javier Becerra there to fight fight to churchgoers there. And churches, in order to meet, had to go fight in court to do it. Using social distancing. So, I mean, we're not talking about people who have a well-moored sense of ethics here, okay? It's a win at any cost. This is what we're talking about, and which is why it's very difficult to defeat these people with using ethics and morality. I mean, you try, you try to appeal, but the more the schools crank out people who are nihilists, the, the less effective using ethics and morality uh, works on them. Right and wrong? <laughs> What? That's relative. We're going to put it on the old socialist sliding scale. I know I hate to sound so <sighs> negative. I'm not. I'm I'm optimistic. Somehow, somewhere, I always see that, you know what? There's a cloud. There's that silver lining. I see it. So anyway, this, uh, some of the folks that are running are... That's my homage to Rush this week. John Cox, who formerly ran against Gavin Newsom, and the guy's amazing. He's a developer. Oh. And he used, I mean, he would talk about in the previous campaign, talk about the expensive costs for building low low income housing. It was like eight hundred thousand dollars per unit, and it's like, who's going to be able to afford that? Oh, oh, I, we get it—the state and your buddies. I mean, just stuff like that. So he was a welcome breath of fresh air in California politics, and of course, naturally, he he lost to the machine. But uh, I, I digress. Kevin Faulkner, who is the former San Diego mayor, who just thinks if he just bends a little to the left and gives all the folks on the left their um their Green New Deal and all that stuff that doggone it, things are going to be just fine. You know, and if you believe that, I have some frozen wind uh, turbines in Texas to sell you. So the chicanery in California, which will happen in the bright COVID daylight, sounds sort of familiar. Remember the time just uh, a few days back that Time magazine went over the actual conspiracy quote? They used the word conspiracy. So, hey, all you... uh, Truth detectors out there, truth, truth, I put in quotation marks. I didn't use that word. They did. Here's an excerpt from Time Magazine. If you haven't seen this, it'll be in the show notes. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. The left and the lefter got together. The protests stopped. They. This is what they're conveying. 
uh, reading here, both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as sort of an implicit bargain, inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protests. Sometimes? I thought they were mostly peaceful, Time Magazine, in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. Who's looking like the, the Democratic guy now? Who's, who's looking like that guy? Yeah, exactly. Not Biden. The handshake between business and labor was just one component of a vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election, to protect the election for Democrats. Protect the election. Remember those words. An extraordinary shadow effort, I read here, dedicated not to winning the vote, but to ensuring it would be free and fair, credible and uncorrupted. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from a remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. They called him an autocrat. Did he act like one? Did he tweet like one? Yeah. Did he act like one? No. Though much of this activity took place on the left, it was separate from the Biden campaign and crossed ideological lines with crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors. Those conservatives, quote unquote, the Lincoln Project. The scenario. Wait, let's just camp there for a second. The Lincoln Project, which has now been dissolved and imploded because of a sex scandal by a predatory sex pervert who was among their leaders. Okay, great. Yeah. How's that working for you, George Conway? The scenario, she reads here, the shadow campaigners were desperate to stop was not a Trump victory. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all. A failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been a hallmark of America since its founding. Yes, let's just drape ourselves in the flag. Uh, you know, I, I remind you of Kevin DeLeon's salute to the flag. Now, that's why the protest stops. And that's why you're spending three fifty for a gallon of gas. This is why your job's gone if you work on a pipeline or you're trying to make sense of the Texas winter in which windmills freeze. Now, I hate to break it to you, and this is just me here, but the sun doesn't produce energy at night either. Now, there you go. That has been your West Coast, Mest Coast, Coast uh, tour on this Adult in the Room podcast. And by the way, as we sign off, begin to sign off, um, give some prayers for Tiger Woods. I think I think that I be, not I think I believe in the power of prayer. He got in the horrible accident, had uh, his right leg reconstructed. It's a mess. Remember to subscribe, follow, rate five stars, and give me a great review over at your favorite podcast outlets: Apple, Google. Spotify to name the big boys. And if you follow me on social media, know where to look for me. I'm over at Parlor MeWe Minds Facebook and Twitter at Victoria Taft. That's my handle for the most part. And don't forget the Adult in the Room podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, it's known as at, at the Adult in the Room podcast, except Twitter, which only had room enough for the at Adult in the Adult in the. All right. Fine. 
get in touch with me at Victoria at VictoriaTaft.com. Check my website out, VictoriaTaft.com, and we'll see you next time. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by VictoriaTaft.com. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Logo by Heidemann Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved. <laughs>